Welcome everyone to the Arthroscopy Association's Arthroscopy Journal podcast. I'm Dr. Andrea Spiker from the University of Wisconsin. Today, I have the privilege of speaking with Dr. Alan Zhang, who is the director of the Hip Preservation Center at the University of California, San Francisco, and is the director of the UCSF Sports Medicine Fellowship. Dr. Zhang was the senior author of the article titled, Hip Arthroscopy Volume and Reoperations in a Large Cross-Sectional Population, High Rate of Subsequent Revision Hip Arthroscopy in Young Patients, and Total Hip Arthroplasty in Older Patients, which was published in the December 2021 edition of the Arthroscopy Journal. Dr. Zhang's co-authors included Nicholas Savalos, Kylan Soriano, Sergio Flores, Stephanie Wong, and Drew Lansdowne. Welcome, Dr. Zhang, and thank you very much for joining me. Thanks so much for having me, Dr. Spiker. It's a pleasure to be on this podcast. Well, Alan, can you start us off by discussing your practice and how this study question came about? Sure. So um, I am the director of the Hip Preservation Center at the University of California, San Francisco, or UCSF. So we see a lot of patients with uh, hip injuries, uh, athletic injuries of the hip, and a lot of patients that need hip arthroscopy surgery. So as we were growing our practice and more and more patients came to us, we saw not just patients that had uh, original injuries of their hip, but then I started seeing patients who had surgeries at other centers and other places around the country who came in who were still having pain after their hip arthroscopy surgeries. So when we looked in the literature, uh, other surgeons would say that their revision surgery rate for their patients were were relatively low, like 5% or less, but um, we're just seemingly seeing more patients needing revision surgeries um, uh, than what was reported. So we wanted to kind of use a a large database to look at what the kind of uh, cross-country or cross-sectional populations revision surgery rate was like for hip arthroscopy. So that kind of jump-started our idea into this project. And the data set that you utilized was the Pearl Diver data set. So can you tell us a little bit about this data set, why it's a good source of information, and then perhaps discuss some of its limitations as well? Yeah, so I think we're talking about Pearl Diver, I was probably actually one of the very first people to use this for research. So uh, this is a database I'm very, very familiar with. And it started when I was a second year resident at UCLA back in 2010, 2011. Uh, and back then when I was a resident, one of my attendings knew um, the like administrators or executives of a, of a commercial group that was collecting a lot of kind of private payer insurance uh, administrative data to be used for research. And that's when the company Pearl Diver started uh, back in 2010. And at that point, uh, because my uh, attending um, had access to it, we were one of the first uh, research centers to actually use the Pearl Diver database back uh, over 12 years ago. So when, when I was a uh, resident, I, I started mining some of the data, looking through it, and we first started out publishing a study looking at um, trends in slap tears and slap repair in the U.S. Uh, and that was published in uh, AJSM. That was probably the first uh, Pearl Diver study published. And then right after that, we published one looking at rotator cuff repairs um, as well as uh, shoulder stabilization surgeries. And both of those articles were published in the Arthroscopy Journal. So those were kind of like the very first uh, orthopedic research studies using Pearl Diver. And then back then, it was a kind of... Uh, a very kind of um, rudimentary database. They're just using uh, administrative records from United Health patients, which is a big insurance group, but it's definitely not um, all of the patients in the U.S. And then over the years, they've collected more and more data. And most recently in 2010, 
they form this Mariner database, which is uh, actually the biggest database yet with over 122 million patients from across the country, multiple insurance payers like United Health, I think uh, uh, Humana, various other ones, and then uh, not just private payers, but also Medicare, Medi-Cal, workers' comp, VA. Um, so multiple kind of payer sources where they can get this administrative data from. So again, sorry to be long-winded and, and, and telling my life story with this, but uh, I've been using this database for a long time, but more recently they've had this uh, big update. So we, we had an idea to look back at this database to uh, ask specifically about the hip arthroscopy question and the revision rate. So that's why we kind of came back to it. And it's a great database because there's a lot of patients in it, but of course it is still just administrative records. So if someone's not putting in the billing codes correctly or the diagnosis codes correctly, uh, we're kind of um, at their mercy in terms of um, coding uh, and potential errors with that. That's fascinating. I had no idea with your about your long history with Pearl Diver, but that leads perfectly to my next question. You, in this study specifically, you were able to use the ICD-10 codes which allowed you to confirm laterality of revision cases. Uh, so can you touch a little bit on the importance of tracking laterality when performing these large population studies and why this study was different from some of the previously published studies related to laterality? Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, classically, like when we first started using uh, Pearl Diver um, early on, that, that, that's when we were using ICD-9 codes to find out diagnoses. And ICD-9 codes would just say, oh, hip pain or uh, knee pain or labral tear, but it doesn't tell you right or left side. Uh, and then once the country uh, essentially converted to ICD-10 coding in 2015, ICD-10 codes, when you click off your diagnosis, when you're billing for it, you have to say what the diagnosis is, as well as the laterality, which side it's on. So now you can track if a patient has a label tear on the right side versus their left side. So the older studies that try to track uh, revision rates and reoperations, you can track it if you're using the diagnosis code. Uh, you could track it for a labral tear, and then if they had another diagnosis uh, for a labral tear, you can't tell if it's the same hip that's got the labral tear or if it's the opposite hip now. So that's a major weakness with some of the earlier studies. You can potentially track it using CPT codes, which is a procedure code for the surgery, and sometimes there's modifiers on the surgical uh, laterality, but that's not always inputted. So that's also uh, a little bit, you'll lose some sample size if you're relying on CPT codes. So now with this most recent um, 2020 uh, Mariner data set, it now has 2015 and on data. So now you've got all these patients with ICD-10 codes and you can really accurately track their diagnoses. So then I know if a patient had FAI and labral tear on the right side and had surgery for it, two years later, you can see that if they had surgery on the same side or if it's now their other, other hip. So it just makes it a lot more accurate for tracking revision surgeries now. Yeah, and absolutely, especially in hip arthroscopy, where we know that a number of patients have symptoms on both hips. And so I think that prior data set could really have been leading us astray when, you know, we were making assumptions on when a patient had a second surgery, whether that was on the same side or other side, and we really had no idea. So this is a huge improvement, uh, especially when, when looking at the limitations of one of these larger data sets. Let's discuss next some of your findings and how these were either consistent with or differed from prior research that has been published. So uh, to start, can we talk about hip arthroscopy case volume? So you found that there was a two-fold increase between 2010 and 2014 
but that the utilization of hip arthroscopy remained relatively unchanged between 2014 and 2017. So can you discuss your thoughts on this finding specifically? Yeah, so I thought this part of the database was really, really interesting because many people, researchers have done previous studies looking at how highly or how quickly uh, hip arthroscopy surgeries are growing across the country. And, and I was one of them. So back in uh, 2015, I used the Pearl Diver database that was uh, available back then to do an analysis of trends in hip arthroscopy surgery. And back then we saw that from 2007 to 2011, the uh, rate of hip arthroscopy surgeries in the U.S. increased by over 200% or actually over 250% at that time. And then now using the first part of this new recent study, it's just kind of repeating that data. So at that point, the data only went up to 2011. So now we saw we picked up from 2010 to 2017. And we saw from 2010 to 2014, it kept on growing at a similar rate. Essentially, it doubled over the last four years in terms of how many hip arthroscopy surgeries were being performed. So then the fascinating thing is over the last three or four years, from 2014 to 2017, that rate just really plateaued. It, it changed by no more than 5% each year from 2014 to 2017. It went up by 5% and then down by 5% and then back up. So it's kind of plateauing at that pace right now, which I thought is pretty interesting because I think uh, this can be explained by a couple of reasons. Like, is it that the growth of hip arthroscopy surgeries have really uh, hit a plateau? Like, is there a reason why we're not uh, continue to do more and more? Maybe it's because our indications are now a little bit more refined because we've done more clinical research so we know which patients will benefit from hip arthroscopy and which patients won't. So maybe the surgeons are a little bit more selective about which patients to offer the surgery to. So I think better indications may slow down that progression. Or is it really that the supply and demand are, are finally being met where there's enough surgeons now for all the patients uh, with labral tears and FAI, which are the main, you know, reasons for the surgery uh, in that we're, we're pretty much saturated. I know you're very busy, so you're doing as many hip arthroscopies as you can, uh, and then maybe that's uh, enough for, for the population at this point. So I think that remains to be seen, because I, I do think possibly there'll be another uh, higher, steeper growth in the future. I'm not sure if this is where our steady state is uh, going forward with the surgery. Yeah, I found that particularly interesting. And I remember your study and others which projected into the 2020s. And the projections were always that there was going to be this continued rapid exponential growth. And here you've shown us that, in fact, it has plateaued, which is quite interesting. And I, I think that you make some excellent points on, on why that could potentially be. So one other thing you found was a very high revision rate of, of revision surgery at two years, you found it to be as high as 19%. And 15% of those patients were undergoing revision arthroscopy. And then the other 4% were undergoing a total hip replacement as a second surgery. So were you surprised by this rate? You mentioned it a little bit earlier, but but how do you interpret this? And, and is this more consistent with what you were seeing and why you began this study? Yeah, so I think this this was definitely surprising to me. It's definitely higher than I expected. I expected it to be higher than what was reported by single surgeon series because, uh, I mean, even if I look at uh, my own uh, outcomes, we collect our patient data, uh, and I'm revising my own patients definitely less than like 5%, less than 4% of the time, but I'm revising other patients a lot more than that. So probably, yeah, doing like every six, seven, eight primary hip scopes, there might be one revision. Uh, so I think that would be a much higher rate than you would expect. So I think 
uh, what happens is for surgeons, like if you're, uh, if, if you did surgery on a patient, either your patient moved or went somewhere else, or if your patient wasn't doing well, maybe they went and found another surgeon. So if you're talking about a single surgeon series of patients, you're probably not collecting all of your revisions and all of your potential failures from the surgery. So I think using the database to look at it from across the country, as long as the patients are uh, still in uh, you know, some type of uh, payment uh, insurance plan, you're going to be able to capture those revision surgeries, even if it's a different surgeon doing it than the original surgeon. But that rate of uh, 19% revision surgeries, 15% revision hip arthroscopy is a lot higher than uh, we anticipated. So we had our team double, triple check that data and, and those queries multiple times, but that's what we, we kept getting over and over. So I think that that, that data is real. And I think with 4% undergoing total hip replacements, if you're looking at the overall population, that's not a super high number. But then if you break it down by age group, if you look at patients over age 60, there's 36% that converted to hip replacement within two years of their hip arthroscopy. And that's a, that's a much higher number than previous studies. Even our own study that we looked at in 2015, the revision rate was closer to like 28% for patients over 60. So with this even more accurate tracking, it seems like that revision rate's actually higher for hip replacements in older patients. Yeah, that those are all um, very interesting points. And I think the, the point about the prior publications of single surgeon cohorts is really an important one. The research that we've seen out there is from high volume expert hip arthroscopists and their revision rate probably is smaller or less than this 19%, uh, because this is a technically challenging surgery. And um, as we've seen from prior publications, a large majority of the surgeons performing hip arthroscopy are not performing very many per year. And so I think that um, that goes to show that, uh, you know, this higher revision rate is is likely, um, as you mentioned, a better cross-section of what's going on across the nation uh, whereas the um, publications we've seen from our expert high-volume hip arthroscopists reflect um, a practice which is very super subspecialized. One other interesting thing that you found in your study was that uh, the most common age group for patients undergoing hip arthroscopy in your cohort was in the 40 to 49-year-old age group, and that 70% of all hip arthroscopies were actually being performed in female patients. So is this something that you've seen in your own practice? What are some of the things that you think might be the reasons we're seeing such high proportions of surgeries in female patients and then in these older patients? Yeah, so I, that's also something that I was surprised by. I've actually, since we looked at this data, when we looked at other uh, studies to compare it to, there's been some other database, large data studies showing the the rate of female to male hip arthroscopy surgeries is like two to one. So like, you know, two thirds female, one third male. So th th this is not necessarily new data. It's a little surprising to me that uh, it was predominantly more female patients. When, and then so I actually looked back at my own series of hip arthroscopy patients and my cohort's about 53% female patients. So 47% male. So it's a lot closer to 50-50. Um, and then my average age group for my surgical patients are in the lower 30s. So my patients tend to be a little bit younger. Uh, over age 40, um, is still you still get, based on the previous studies, you, still, you can still get good results. But then over age 50, the outcomes and results start deteriorating, so to speak, where you don't have as much improvement in older patients. And usually that's due to um, a component of arthritis in their hips. So uh, I think having the highest 
age group 40 to 49 is a little bit surprising in this data set. And having more female patients than males can also be a little bit surprising. I'm not entirely sure um, what the reason for that is. Uh, I think some of the theories are that, you know, patient, uh, female patients are a little bit, um, have a little bit more joint laxity. So their hips have a little bit more, more motion than, than male patients. So if they're to get a labral tear through uh, repetitive stresses like running or other sports, they may uh, be more symptomatic from it just because their their hips are more mobile. Whereas if you have like a male patient that has FAI and a labral tear, their, hip, their hips are stiff and they're, they're not testing it through extreme ranges, they may not be very symptomatic for it. So it's possible that female patients are more symptomatic, even though classically it's been reported that male patients tend to have uh, larger cam lesions or higher alpha angles. Uh, it's not necessarily correlate with symptoms. Yeah, that's excellent. And and you mentioned the older age group, and I think it's probably important to note that in the study cohort you studied, only about 2% of the total patients fell into this 70 to 79-year-old age group, and then about 5% in that 60 to 69-year-old age group. So while they did have a higher revision rate, it was they were still not making up a significant proportion of patients, um, which is probably more reflective of hip arthroscopy patients across the nation as well. I think that part's changed because when we look at our previous study in 2015, there is a higher proportion of patients over age 60 getting hip arthroscopy surgeries. I think the data has kind of brought that trend back down to being uh, less of an indicated surgery for our, our older patients, which is good. I agree. So, Alan, uh, to finish this up tonight, um, how will you take these results and incorporate them into your practice as well as your education of trainees? Yeah, so I think uh, an important point is that there's a higher than we anticipated revision surgery rate for hip arthroscopy. Uh, even though this is a large cross-sectional uh, sample, it may not exactly be, you know, 18% or 15% for, for everyone, but it's uh, it's going to most likely be higher than uh, what we previously reported at less than 5%. Uh, so uh, especially in our younger patients, so uh, one thing with the data is that in our Young patients under age 20, there's a high revision hip arthroscopy rate of 18%. And, and then the most common reason for arthros revision arthroscopy is a revision femoroplasty. That's where you don't fully resect the cam lesion, which has been re reported previously as well. So when we teach our um, fellows and residents, having a complete cam resection is very important because that's the most common reason for uh, patients needing a revision surgery if they still have a residual hip impingement. And then also the second highest reason for uh, revision hip arthroscopy was labral repair. So uh, performing a, a good labral repair is very important. And then uh, some of the other things this database can't tell us are other procedures like capsule work, like if you needed to do a revision for a capsule repair or labral reconstruction, we just don't have codes for those. So we don't know if that's the case. But I anticipate some of those other uh, surgeries are contributing to the revision rate, but we just don't know exactly what proportion of that it is. So I think that's something to address in the future with further research. Well, excellent. Thank you so much, Alan, for sharing your thoughts with us today. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for having me. This is great. Love to share our research on here. So hope to be back someday. We would love to have you back. Dr. Zhang's article titled Hip Arthroscopy Volume and Reoperations in a Large Cross-Sectional Population 
high rate of subsequent revision of hip arthroscopy in young patients and total hip arthroplasty in older patients can be found in the December 2021 issue of the Arthroscopy Journal or online at www.arthroscopyjournal.org. This concludes our episode of the Arthroscopy Journal podcast. Thank you for joining us. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the Arthroscopy Association or the Arthroscopy Journal. Thank you.